This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Ja, 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 yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. As always, I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is my co-host, Brian Com. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. Looking forward to another fantastic... Wait, Elon? Yes, Brian? You are not Elon. Yes, I am. See? Y-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e
adding Benoit Pouliot. He's definitely made a case to stick on the top line with Jordan Eberle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins after putting up two goals and two assists over a three-game mini-point streak. But let's zoom back in on Parisi. He's going to slot right back in alongside Miko Koivu and Jason Pominville on Minnesota's first line, and that could not be better news for Miko Koivu, who has been snake-bitten so far. I own him in two leagues, and I'm on the verge of losing my patience with him, but his numbers seem to suggest that he just needs his line mates and himself to finish a little bit more effectively, and it's within the scope of their abilities, or at least it should be. So, if this is really the case, then Parisi returning should help with that. Remember that Miko Koivu is a bona fide 60 or 70 point guy, and still has 52 shots on goal on the year, setting a shots per 60 minutes pace that's comparable to guys like Wayne Simmons, Gabriel Landeskog, and Daniel Sedin. This is where your patience should be rewarded. Fantasy Hockey Headline Number 2 Moving on to the more unfortunate news of injuries, Valery Nichushkin, the 10th overall pick in 2013 of the Dallas Stars, was destined to be a fantasy darling this year, but everything has gone wrong for him, and that continues to happen with news that he will miss four months because of a hip ailment. This is right after returning from a groin injury and leaves his season totals at zero points and two shots on goal in four games played. They're going to stay that way probably until February. If you like, you can keep the faith and stash him on your IR. But in the meantime, this means that Alishemsky and Patrick Eves each get to spend a little more time in Dallas's top six Whether this turns into fantasy value remains to be seen since the stars seem to really be loading up line one with Jason Spezza, Jamie Benn, and Tyler Sagan. But going back to Nachushkin, just keep his name in the back of your mind. If his luck continues to be this bad through to the end of the year, he could be a fairly cheap get at next year's draft. Fantasy Hockey Headline Number 3 I just want to take a quick moment to give somebody credit when it's due because I feel like they are so often underrated. Jacob Voracek, with two assists against Montreal on November 15th, has moved into the NHL points lead, and not only does he lead the league in points with seven goals and 19 assists for 26 points in 16 games played, he also leads the league in points per 60 amongst forwards who have played more than, say, nine or ten games. His margin over second place Sidney Crosby in total points is just one, but in points per game, he's averaging about, well, 0.4 more points per 60 than second place Rick Nash, and a little more than that than third place Nikita Kucherov. I'm not sure if it's in my own circle or more widespread than that, but Jacob Voracek deserves your respect. Fantasy Hockey Headline Number 4 Okay, our final headline this week is Jonathan Druin, a healthy scratch, and guess what? I'm actually going to stop the headline there because it is a perfect fit to begin our first interview of the show. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning with Kyle Alexander. He's the assistant editor for Raw Charge. He's the associate editor for Bolt's Statistics. And he joins me right now from LA, California. Kyle, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to talk about Tampa with you because there have been so many fantasy and analytics storylines so far this season. There's been so many new names popping up in the last two or three years that have become fantasy relevant so quickly, and it seems like a disproportionate chunk of them are coming from the Lightning and going way back, starting with Corey Conacher, and now more recently with Andrzej Pallet, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, Radko Gudis, even Nemesnikov starting to get in on the action. 
We've covered the trio of Palat, Johns, and Kucherov just as they were starting to make noise. Of those three, whose success do you think is the most sustainable, or can we count on all three to keep rolling? I think all three uh, hold up really well. I think all three played really well last year. Uh, the biggest difference between you know the, that three was that uh, Andre Palat and uh, Tyler Johnson ended up getting the Marty St. Louis bump. Uh, they got the big time on ice. Well playing on the top line because of the Steven Stamkos injury. All three guys played really well. You know, they were good at generating scoring chances. Johnson and Palat, you know, the biggest difference was just on a shooting percentage luck. Johnson and Palat had huge PDO last year. Kucherov, not so much. He was playing with Nate Thompson and Ryan Malone. It's kind of hard to score a lot with those guys. To be quite honest, all three guys are probably 50-point guys this year. I wouldn't expect too much more from Johnson and Palat. They probably top out around 60 to 65 like last year when everything seemed to break right for them. As far as scoring talent goes, Kucherov is off the charts. He's the only one of the three I can see is a point-per-game player in the NHL. That's still a long shot, but if I'm going to pick one of the three that's going to eclipse 70 this year or next year, I'm picking Kucherov. We get a lot of questions, and I feel like it's because his name is the most boring about Tyler Johnson. Like Usually he's the one most people are on the fence about, and he doesn't have that exciting sort of European essence to him when he's producing the way he is. And I'm just going to put this out there. If you had to redo the Conacher for Bishop trade, and as a sense fan, I have to revisit this, and you had to send one of Palat or Johnson over, because I'm assuming Kucherov isn't going to be it, who would you want the most for the Lightning GM to trade for Ben Bishop? Uh, that's tough. I think ultimately you got to flip the winger, though, and keep Tyler Johnson, he's basically the Lightning's second-line center with uh, Phil Pula moved up to the top line with Stamkos for a few games here. You know, they're both really valuable penalty kill guys. They're both, you know, high-scoring forwards for us last year. I think ultimately, though, it, the, the center position is too valuable. Tyler Johnson's been pretty good on face-offs. I know that adds some value in other, you know, fantasy leagues. As far as the team goes, the is probably easier to replace, you know, with Brett Connolly, Nemesikov, and Cedric Paquette playing on the wing for us. I think ultimately... You got to keep Johnson and, and flip Palat in that situation. But I think what, what really worked out was Steve Eiserman seeing the opportunity to move Conacher at the high point of his value, flipping an asset, selling high, getting good value back before Conacher, you know, hit, hit a low point with the lightning. You're rubbing it in. You can stop there. <laughs> uh, so let me jump ahead, actually, because you just mentioned a name. Who is... Who's Cedric Paquette? <laughs> uh, Cedric, Cedric Paquette, he's a fourth-round pick from 2012. Uh, you know, he was a black ace with the Lightning's AHL affiliate in 2013, and he was really impressive in a handful of games. He had a strong rookie year last year. He scored 20 goals in, in 70 AHL games. His uh, NHL equivalents, based on his points from last year, puts him at about 23 points in the NHL this year if he played a full 82, so I wouldn't get too excited about him. He's a big forward. He's, you know, he's good around the net. He's strong. Uh, he's played all three forward positions uh, since he's been in Tampa-based system. He's a nice player. He's probably a full-time NHLer by the end of this year or starting next year. But with Brett Connolly coming back from injury soon, somebody who is you know waiver exempt is going to have to be moved back to the AHL. I would guess that's probably Cedric Paquette and not Vlad Nemestikov. So just as a casualty of numbers, he might not be with the team much longer, even though he's played well enough to stay. You know, he's playing in sheltered NHL minutes on that fourth line with Nemestikov and Drew Ann at points. But right now he's shooting something like 30%. I think he scored five goals on like 18 shots or something like that. You know, the boxcars look great for him right now and he's playing well, but you wouldn't be counting on him in fantasy right now. Definitely a name to keep an eye on though. And thank you for doing all the segues 
segues for me because you just mentioned Vladislav Nemesnikov and he's the latest name to come to our attention, I guess, with Paquette. He had a good run recently, though he's managed barely a shot on goal per game. I saw that he played online, I guess it's two games ago now, with Steven Stamkos and Jonathan Duran, which is really interesting to me and I want to know how that's been working out. And second, I was curious to know what you figure his upside is and if he is a fantasy-relevant player just yet at this point in his career. So let, let's start with the first one, that Jiren Mesnikov stamkos Was that a one-night-only kind of thing? I believe that was more of an experiment than anything. That was On Saturday night at home versus the Islanders, that line was broken up. Stamkos was back with Callahan. Nemesnikov was back down with Cedric Paquette. Right now, more than anything, they're still trying to find permanent wingers for Stamkos. It's, you know, they've tried Andre Palat, they've tried Val Filpula, they've tried Ryan Callahan, Kuch- Trav's been up there. Duran's been up there. Stamkos isn't a great possession player, so they're trying to find wingers that can help get him the puck. You know, he makes a living off converting a high percentage of his attempts, mostly off the rush. I mean, he's good in the offensive zone too, but it's about finding that chemistry, finding wingers that can get him the puck more often for him to shoot more. Ultimately, long-term, I think one or both of Kucherov or Duran belong up there, but for now, Callahan kind of seems attached to the hip. Nemestikov's probably a better bet to stay down on the fourth line where he's been. And so being on the fourth line, does he he have a chance to, to crack 40 45 points this year? Is that going to be an uphill battle? That would probably be pushing it a little bit. Based on his year in the AHL last year, he scored 48 points in 56 games, which is a pretty good AHL scoring rate. And that translates to about 30 to 35 in the NHL if he played a full 82. So I think that's about where he tops out. It's tough to say, you know, he, he's a really good playmaker more than he is a shooter. I know you mentioned his shot rate's not great. I know that doesn't help him a ton in fantasy. He took about two shots per game in the AHL last year. So, you know, it's probably more an ice time thing than anything else. He's only gaining about 12 minutes per game right now, but he did just crack the penalty kill. So there's an opportunity there for him to earn more ice time moving forward. If he did, he maybe could push 40 points, but I wouldn't be counting on it. And the Lightning's most likely player going into this season to crack 40, 45 points for the first time was probably considered Jonathan Drum, but it's been a roller coaster for him. He was injured before the season began. Then he had that surprise start when Alex Killorn got injured and all of a sudden he showed up in the, in the warm-ups. Then he saw sheltered minutes and struggled with them. Then it looked like he was turning a corner. Last night, he's a healthy scratch. Where are things going to settle for him? He's actually played really well. He's, he's got eight points in 12 games. That's a good pace for a rookie. I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot more hype, you know, than anyone could really live up to. You know, they look at Jonathan Drew they look at the skill set. They look at Steven Stamkos. They look at the other forward talent that Tampa Bay has and they think, oh, it's, you know, it's just like putting on a glove. You know, he's just going to step into the lineup and everything is going to be awesome right away. You know, he, he played 18, 19. 18 minutes a night when he first debuted, but but Tampa's lineup was devastated at that point. They were on the road. Kalorn was out. Connolly was out. There was a lot of forward injuries that they were dealing with. So they kind of needed Joanne to step in and play big forward minutes at that point. You know, as the more experienced forwards get healthy, he's taking his turn in the press box. It's not a punishment. He's played really, really well. There's just no need for Tampa to force him into huge minutes early. They have a deep forward group. You know, they have cup aspirations. You know, unlike, say, teams you know, that might have Calder nominated forwards in the past, Tampa's going to take it easy with him. They really think that he could be a great forward for them. They want to make sure that they show him every aspect of the game. And John Cooper has really stressed him working on his play away from the puck. They already know how good he is with the puck. The games that I've tracked when I'm tracking zone entries, he's one of the best zone entry forwards for the Lightning. So I think there's a really good future for him there. If he just, you know, sticks with it when he's scratched, learns in the press box, works hard in practice, I think eventually there's going to be a spot that opens up in the top six and he's just going to take it and not let it go. Because of the draft year, I've kind of coupled him together with McKinnon, but it sounds like he's not 
on the same route and not being given the free reign that I think Waugh gave McKinnon in Colorado. That's accurate. I, you know, I think it's just the difference isn't necessarily the player. I think Druin is the same quality player McKinnon. I think he actually might even be a little bit better. It's just the team situation is such that Tampa Bay has no need to play Jonathan Druin 20, 22 minutes a night. They've got more experienced forwards. It's, it's more just a seniority thing than anything else. And so they can afford to protect some of their younger guys uh, with fewer five-on-five five minutes. Let them take mostly offensive zone starts. You know, don't give them tough quality competition. Just let them, you know, sort of make mistakes and learn on the ice and in practice. Now let's move on to a draft pick that has been in the Lightning system long enough to blossom. And I still don't know if he's beginning even to get the credit he deserves. He's injured right now. I'm talking about Victor Hedman because we have our elite fantasy defensemen here on this show. So we, we count Carlson and Subban and probably Shea Weber in there too. And then there's a drop off to the next year that has guys like Keith, Petrangelo, Shattenkirk, Giordano, Yandel, Ekman Larson, Bufflin. And then it goes down another notch to guys like maybe Mark Streit. I know Hedman's in there somewhere, but where exactly do you think he fits alongside those names? Well, in terms of just pure talent, he's he's top. He's one of the best defensemen in the league. I truly believe that. The problem with Victor Hedman in fantasy is that he's been an elite scorer from the blue line for two years at five on five. Towards the end of last season and the beginning of this year before he injured his hand, he was getting top power play unit time. And you saw the results, you know, big time scoring numbers to rival Weber or Subban or anybody. He absolutely has the talent to hang with those big names. The question is, can he keep getting the big power play minutes that he needs? He's always been a really good scorer at, at five on five. The question is, will John Cooper keep trusting him once his rehab is done? Will he go right back to that big power play minutes that he was getting on the top unit? Because so far this year, Cooper's been using a one defenseman for forward alignment. So the two units, there's only two defensemen getting power play time at all. Matt Carl and Jason Garrison have, in the meantime, benefited. You might look at Jason Garrison's numbers right now and think, oh, wow, that's really worked out well for the lane. And it has. He's played well at five on five, but he's also benefited from Hedman's injury. He's getting a lot of power play time that he won't be getting, I assume, when Hedman returns. You know, I had Hedman pegged as a Norris finalist and was feeling really good about it for like the first two weeks of the season until he got hurt because all the skills are there. He can skate on the rush. He's a good passer. He's got an underrated shot. He scored, I think, 10 goals last year. When he comes back, the question is if he's fully healthy, if he goes right back to that top power play time. If he does, he absolutely is one of the elite fantasy defensemen. Okay, so I'm going to give you a choice now. I'm going to put this to the test. Pick one, Victor Hedman or Mark Giordano? Hedman. Victor Hedman or Shea Weber? Uh, Probably Weber, just because I don't know how Hedman's going to be used right when he comes back. But he's close. He's right on the It's close. Yeah, it's close. Okay. Okay. We're going to monitor that closely. I would love for there to be another name we can throw in with those top three. And, And I feel like if there is one coming up, it's going to be Hedman. You were saying about his play at even strength. And yeah, over the last two years, he is the leader in even strength points per 60 minutes in that time span. Let's close off, Kyle, because we've covered a lot of ground so far today. But I'm going to ask you one open-ended question to close off. What is one of the more interesting analytic storylines in Tampa that you've noticed at this point of the season so far? Well, since we're talking uh, fantasy value here and power play success, power play minutes are so hugely important to the fantasy hockey game. It's notable to point out that Tampa Bay's power play is kind of a mystery right now. You know, they're they're converting pretty well. They're 23.8% on the power play. That's six in the NHL. That's the stat you'll hear on all the broadcasts. Oh, this power play is really strong, 23.8%. But uh, they're actually among the league's worst teams in generating shot attempts and shots at five on four. They're down there with Dallas and Florida and New Jersey. Uh, If you look at the 
Caps, who are one of the top power play teams in the league the past few seasons, they're pulling off 45 more attempts on the net per 60 minutes of power play time than Tampa Bay. It's a crazy amount. It's a huge shot gap. Like I said, for now, they've been able to convert a low number of attempts into a high number of goals, but it's tough to say if that's something that they can keep going or not. By the eye test, by watching them, they seem to have a little bit of an issue on entry into the zone, and then once they set up, everything runs through Stamkos, one-timers, and backdoor plays. They're looking for that one grade-A chance, that one bang-bang play, where it's in the back of the net no matter what, rather than taking decent looks towards the net and then trying to retrieve the puck. So it's so far so good. scoring, but it's hard to say if that's something that they can keep up long-term. It's something that ideally, I want them to see the power play a little bit crisper in entries, a little bit more emphasis on pucks towards the net. It would be good in the long run, I think, but you know, we'll see if they can keep up the high percentage uh, long-term. Okay, and Kyle, let's just get personal towards the end of the interview before we sign off. I know you're into fantasy. Who are you riding this year? Who is your guy? Oh, yeah, my long-term keeper league... Um, I have, it was like, I think it started three years ago. I drafted Stamco second overall, and I've just been really happy to have him in a league where I get to keep him every year. So, I, I mean, it was rough last year with the with the injury losing him for 50 games. But I can't, I mean, as a Lightning fan, as someone who covers the Lightning, uh, having Stamkos in a keeper league is just, it's amazing. I can't, I can't, it makes me so happy every year when I draft the rest of my team and I go, I know I'm going to win that goal category. I know I'm going to win that goal category. Who on your team has been a pleasant surprise? for you at the same time because Stamkos I know you can count on uh, who did you draft not expecting a whole lot from and they've been able to give you quite a bit more than that it's not so much someone that gave me more than I expected it's just that when you draft certain goaltenders in certain systems you expect you know better numbers maybe than the talent would suggest and if you waited in your draft and you grabbed Jake Allen and Brian Elliott, you're feeling pretty smart this morning. They're both sitting over 930 in save percentage, and they both got a handful of wins. So if you waited instead of going Henrik Lundqvist or, or preaching for Ben Bishop or something like that, and you, and you went late for a tandem like that, you're looking really smart, and I'm feeling really good about doing that. We've actually got more on them coming up, so thank you for one final segue gift from, from you. Kyle, um, this has been a lot of fun. I love talking about the Lightning, um, and I envy your ability to cheer for a team that has so many interesting guys in sort of a shifting and maturing system where can listeners find out more about your writing on the lightning or follow you on twitter can you give us all your credentials yeah sure you can follow me on twitter it's uh, at k alexander rc you know rc's for raw charge i read it www.rawcharge.com that's uh the sb nation blog covering the tampa bay lightning all of our stat work you know if you want to look at zone entries scoring chances stuff like that that uh mike gallimore he and i track that's at www.boltstatistics.com and other than that i'm on twitter a lot late at night just tracking games and chit-chatting so if anyone ever wants to ask me a question about the lightning i'm more than happy to answer it I'll be honest, Kyle, I only started following you at the beginning of this season, but I wish I'd said it earlier. I can heartily recommend K. Alexander RC as a, as a key Twitter follow for anybody who's following us right now. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time to chat with us about the lightning today. Thanks for having me. Some really good and helpful stuff from Kyle Alexander, and I feel like that'll help answer a lot of the questions we get about whether Palat, Kucherov, and Johnson can really keep up what they're doing 
and who the best of that bunch might be to pick. Speaking of bunches of players who people can't decide between, we talked about the Montreal Canadiens back in the bonus episode with Ryan Wagman a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how many Habs forwards are seeing similar deployment this year. All of the top six have generally split the offensive zone starts between them, and they see roughly an equal level of competition. Alex Galchenyuk is one of this group, and I feel like that's really what there is to say about Alex Galchenyuk. There's a very uniform feel to the players on Montreal's top two lines. Nothing especially sticks out about any of them, though Galchenyuk does find himself at the top of that very close pack in terms of scoring and sustainable production. There's really not much to choose between him, Thomas Plekinet, P.A. Parenteau, Brandon Gallagher, Lars Eller, and David DeHarnay, and I think that's actually how coach Michel Therrien likes it. Don't expect any one guy to make a big splash this season from that group outside of Max Pacioretty, but Galchenyuk is a fair player to look at to be the best of a very similar bunch. Now, there are a bunch of people I'd like to take a minute off of the podcast to think they are our newest Patrons, they went over to patreon.com slash Keeping Carlson. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And I think almost all of them have joined the Facebook group, which is really bumping. If you're interested, go check it out. If not, we still hope you enjoy the show as you do. But thank you very much to Aaron Loftus, Colton Steele, Peter, Ryan, oh goodness, Gerziak, how'd I do? Chris Porter, Jeff Good, he's also at Low Guppy on Twitter, Corey Fowler, Chris Freya, Don Devlin, and Matt Zudzik. I hope I got that one too. Thanks a lot, guys, for helping to make this episode happen. Now, before we get to our second interview about the St. Louis Blues, I'd like to give a quick rundown on a player that we've gotten a lot of questions about right from like the first week of the season, and now the questions are starting to get more and more poignant. It's about Christian Erhoff, because it's official, even I am starting to lose faith and wonder about Christian Erhoff. A healthy and productive Chris Letang has had a near monopoly on blue line production in Pittsburgh. Letang has an insane nine power play points in 16 games played, which puts him as the third highest scoring defenseman in the league with the man advantage behind only Sammy Vatanen and Kevin Shattenkirk, who we're going to hear a little bit more about in just a minute. All this, by the way, is very demoralizing for Pulis, who hoped Erhoff would be handed the keys to the power play on Pittsburgh, even maybe just on Sundays, but he is firmly entrenched on a second unit that includes noted scorers, uh, actually, let's just change that descriptor to guys named Pascal Dupuis, Brandon Setter, Steve Downey, and Paul Martin. Now, at even strength, Erhoff isn't totally to blame for his own misfortune. He is seeing more defensive zone starts than any other Penguins D-man, which is a marked difference from his time in Buffalo, although recent Sabres should be quite used to starting shifts in their own defensive end. I'm not telling you to give up on him, but I don't see a ton of daylight shining through his gloomy five points in 16 games played, all assists. At least his plus-minus is okay. Silver linings, right? Okay, next interview, here it comes. From Annapolis, Maryland, I am joined by Rob Tufts. He has been a fan of the Blues for 20 years, but he's not just a fan. That's not why he's on the show. He's been a contributor to stlouisgametime.com for the last three seasons, producing DataViz. He's also been a contributor to Rob Volman's Hockey Abstract website in terms of DataViz and Tableau presentations, and also has contributed to McKean's in the past. Rob, thanks for coming on the show this week. 
Thank you so much for having me. So I used a new word, mostly for me, actually, even though I've seen it before. I, I wasn't familiar with the word itself. Dataviz, can you just give us a quick rundown on what exactly that is and what you do with it to help you understand what's happening in a hockey game? Sure. So Dataviz is, it can take many different forms, um, but basically it's simply just the graphical representation of data. If you want to get more specific, uh, you can draw a line between data visualization and infographics, whereas infographics are static images that are usually in that long form that people can kind of scroll down and they have lots of cute little images, whereas data visualization is more interactive and it draws the reader into the data and allows them to play with it and allows them to not only see the story that the author is telling, but also to create their own stories as well. Uh, I think for hockey, the reason why I got into doing data visualization for hockey like this and doing the interactive visualizations using Tableau is simply because I wanted to bring the fancy stats, right, the Corsi, the advanced analytics, the Fenwick, and things like that to the St. Louis Game Time readers in a way that would engage them and not just kind of talk at them with a bunch of tables, but rather allow them to play with these stats and to be able to explore their own analysis uh, with different players and on the St. Louis lose um, beyond just whatever story I was trying to tell. Right. I actually, I've, I've been playing around with some of the data vizs that you've been making, and they are really interactive because they show you a sketch of what's going on, and then you can go in and sort of investigate and research yourself without opening about 10 other tabs you can just mouse over, and it's really interactive. So I enjoy it. Let's move on to the data that you present in those data vizs, and instead of using the word data, let's talk about hockey players. And we'll begin with the one who we get far and away the most questions about on a regular basis, Vladimir Tarasenko. So my eyebrows were so furrowed for the first couple weeks of the season, but as time passes and the sample size grows, he continues to roll. He's currently got 10 goals, 11 assists for 21 points, and 66 shots on goal through 17 contests. And this has prompted a lot of people to ask us, if they should be selling high on him while he's putting up these kind of numbers. And our answer since a couple of weeks ago has been nope. It seems like he can keep it up at a reasonable pace. But from your view up close from with what you're doing, does that sound right to you? Can he possibly produce reasonably close to his current level for the rest of the season? One of the things that you don't necessarily see in the player usage chart, because I update these numbers on a weekly basis, I can see how players move from week to week. Tarasenko at one time was seeing a lot of sheltered minutes, and that's when Tarasenko, I think, was really on his scoring tear. Sheltered minutes means he's playing against weaker competition, and he's getting a lot of offensive zone starts. We're still seeing Tarasenko right now with a lot of offensive zone starts, which is one of those smart things uh, that Hitchcock is doing as far as usage with Tarasenko. He is starting to see an increase in competition, however, as far as who Hitchcock is lining up against him. It could be that is just the the way the schedule shakes out for the Blues. It could be because the sample side is enlarging. I'm not sure if he can keep up the same pace that we saw in the last 15 games or so for the Blues, but I think he will still be a top performer for the Blues. If Hitchcock keeps using him as a two-way player or keeps sheltering him, I think he's going to be definitely one of the top producers on the Blues team, if not in the top 20 NHL. If you start seeing him move towards lesser offensive zone starts, then that production is definitely going to drop. And while swept up in Tarasenko mania that's begun this season, you recently compared him on St. Louis game time to Brett Hull, 
which I feel like must be some kind of sacrilege in St. Louis. So what compelled you to put your neck out like that and make that comparison? Uh, the stories that I like to tell are in part driven by kind of the narratives that I see in the media or the narratives that I see on Twitter. Um, and that was a narrative that was coming out. You know, they, they asked Hitchcock about it and Hitchcock said something about, you know, Tarasenko has a similar release as uh, Brett Hall did and things like that. And, and let's be honest, it's also just shameless clickbait, right? You know, comparing Tarasenko to the Golden Brett. And yeah, that's going to generate a lot of clicks, obviously. So I'll, I'll, I'll just own up to that as well. But I think it is curious because the Blues really haven't had that kind of pure goal scorer, um, scoring talent for a while, at least, you know, within the last several seasons. And that's kind of been what a lot of us Blues fans have felt like that's been the missing key to this team. The team puts up great possession numbers, right? They swamp their opponent. They always had some weak goaltending, and then they finally brought in some good goaltending. So they had good goaltending, great possession numbers, but they just never had that kind of pure goal scorer. So is Tarasenko going to be that pure goal scorer like Hull? And I think in that particular instance, kind of fun to look at, but obviously the NHL was much different back when Brett was playing versus now. Uh, if you look at that um, visualization I put together, Tarasenko and Brett Hull had very have very similar shooting percentages through that 115 game sample that I looked at. But Brett Hull took a lot more shots on goal per game than Tarasenko is doing right now. So if Tarasenko can up his number of shots, then we're going to see even more goal scoring from Tarasenko. Yeah, right now he's getting, I guess it looks like about three and a half shots on goal per game, which in today's NHL, is pretty good, but it's not going to get you the 40 to 80 goals that Brett Hull was able to put up um, for four consecutive seasons. Maybe 40, maybe on the lower end, he might be able to do that. Let's move to the blue line, because they have two arguably elite offensive defensemen in Alex Petrangelo and Kevin Shattenkirk. And I've always figured Petrangelo to be number one, or at least number one A of that duo. But so far, Shattenkirk is doubling Petrangelo's offensive output so far this season. So going strictly by offense from a fantasy perspective, if we can, has Shattenkirk passed Petrangelo? You know, Shattenkirk has really come up. I think this has been a really great season so far for him. And it, to be honest, it really caught me off guard a little bit because, yeah, you know, we always looked at um, Petro as being the offensive uh, D-man for the Blues. And, and that's one of the reasons why they wanted to pair him up with Boymeister. Um, they wanted to have someone who was really tough defensively to open up that space for Petro to be more offensive. And then lo and behold, here comes Shattenkirk. I think the Blues are really kind of in a win-win position right now. I think Shattenkirk obviously has kind of been overshadowing Petro a little bit, but I would not count Petro out by any stretch of the imagination yet. From my angle, and I haven't watched enough Blues hockey to confirm it with my eyes, but it seems as though Petrangelo is getting a lot of the tough minutes and not as many opportunities to produce as Shattenkirk. Absolutely. As of last week, Petro was definitely in the shutdown zone of the player usage chart, and he was seeing some low Corsi numbers. Meanwhile, Hitchcock has been using Shattenkirk in sheltered minutes. So yeah, I mean, that's probably why you're seeing Shattenkirk kind of overshadowing Petro right now, because you're absolutely right. Petro's seeing tough minutes, um, and Shattenkirk isn't. And that system has been very beneficial to the Blue goaltending tandem because I know Brian Elliott from Ottawa as a goalie that I always want to cheer for and that I want to believe in and can go on a streaky run but I don't know him as the almost elite goalie that he appears to be based on well the small sample size of this season and if you look at his numbers over the last couple of years his save percentage is, is fantastic and so is his goals against although that's more of a team stat but this year even just looking at even strength save percentage he's among the league leaders he's doing really well I thought this would be the year that maybe Jake Allen 
steps up and steps into the number one A or even number one role. But is that going to happen anytime soon? I'm going to put myself out on the limb here and say that we might be seeing a, a Jennings level duo between Elliot and Allen this season. Just like how Halak and Elliot did it what, back in the 11-12 season. I think that we might be seeing a repeat of that again, but with um, Elliot and Allen. It's very clear Allen had went on a great tear and they kept playing him back-to-back games sometimes, you know, uh, starting him over and over again, which doesn't indicate that they think of Allen as a backup goalie, right, if they start him three, four nights in a row. So I really think that uh, we're looking at a Jennings-level duo with Elliot and Allen this season. Okay, and to close this out, Rob, at the beginning we talked about Tarasenko. On the other end of the spectrum from Tarasenko, for me... I find Yuri Letra. Now, they're both producing very well. So you say, how can that be? He has 17 points in 16 games played. That's not really that far off from what Tarasenko is doing. But I don't figure these kinds of numbers in Letra's case can last a whole lot longer. He's been a really pleasant surprise as a 27-year-old rookie. How has he been doing this? One of the reasons why they wanted to bring him over to St. Louis amongst the fact that they obviously scouted him, they drafted him, they they saw that he had talent. And when they tried to put him in the development system in Peoria, he said, see, I'm going to go play in the KHL. They were able to bring it back in. And the, the timing of it couldn't have been more fortuitous for the Blues because he spent time playing in the KHL with Tarasenko. You know, I know this isn't kind of like a statistical perspective on it, right? It's, a, it's definitely like more of a touchy-feely eye test sort of thing. But, you know, they have that chemistry together. They're they're on the same line together now here in St. Louis as they were playing over in the KHL. So you have two players who are extremely talented. Last season, Laterra had uh, a goals per 60. This is me approximating because I couldn't get his actual time on ice in the KHL. In the KHL, he was doing 0.78. And if you follow Rob Volman's system for converting KHL to NHL numbers, that roughly equates to 0.6 goals for 60 in the KHL last season. This season, he's doing 0.7. So it wouldn't surprise me maybe if he drops back down in, you know, a little bit more and gets into that 0.6 range of goals per 60. But, you know, he has great chemistry with Tarasenko, and uh, Schwartz is a fantastic playmaker as well. He's really come up this season. He's a player that a lot of Blues fans have been watching. Schwartz had a tremendous season last season, so putting these kind of young guns together on this STL line is really going to pay off for the blues. I'm still waiting myself to see if Schwartz is along for the ride or really a big part of creating the offense on that line. You seem to think it's the latter, and I'm interested in finding out in Lettera too. I mean, it's, what a what a pleasant surprise. But I feel personally uh, like like he can't keep it up. But I guess as long as his two line mates are rolling, as long as two of those three are going. I feel like the other one can maybe take a breather. I also thought Paul Stasny would actually be in the role that the entire STL line is playing right now. My fingers are still crossed for that to happen. Rob, thank you for taking the time on this Sunday to join us on Keeping Carlson. Where can our listeners find more of your work in writing or Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Tufts Hockey, R-O-B-B-T-U-F. TS hockey, all one word smashed together. You can also find me at stlouisgametime.com. I write for Blues by the Numbers, that section of the St. Louis Game Time site. And uh, definitely encourage you to go check out the player usage charts and the luck calculator chart on hockeyabstract.com.
Will do. Rob Tufts, everybody. And a quick note of interest on Tarasenko. He's on pace to crack 100 points. Keep in mind, only Crosby, Malkin, and Daniel Sedin have managed to do that in the last three seasons, and neither one of them has done it twice. And also, to follow up on a point I made quickly during the interview to elaborate a little bit more, the L of the STL line, Diori Lettera, Sure is doing well, but probably quite a bit more well than he can keep up. There is no way he ends the season on his current pace of 86 points. He scored on 7 of his 30 shots on goal, which puts his success rate at about 23.3%. So there's that, plus the fact that he also ranks in the top 10 in even strength on ice shooting percentage, and that is not a skill category. Essentially, it says he's been one of the luckier players in the league this season, Just to give you a sense, he's joined in that top 10 by four Calgary Flames named Josh Juris, Joe Colborn, Lance Buma, and Johnny Gaudreau, in case you were wondering. And second from the top is one particular player on whom we've spilled a lot of Twitter ink and dedicated a fair amount of podcast time. And this player is Philip Forsberg. Yes, he's a treat to watch. Yes, he's incredibly skilled. Yes, he's likely going to be a legitimate producer for a long time. But no... He's not going to maintain his current pace that would break the aforementioned 100-point barrier, which means, yes, you should sell high on him now if you can. An established 65-point guy would be a real good return for Forsberg, and maybe you can do even better if you deal with an abs fan that keeps a candle burning for Peter. But Brian, what if I want to buy low on somebody? I'm glad you asked. As more games are played, there are more and more star players hitting their strides, meaning your general early season buy-low window is closing with every passing day. One of the last holdouts among stars not playing to their potential is Thomas Vanek, who is actually starting to concern me. He's got just one goal to go with eight assists in 16 games played to date. And normally I'd just be like, it's cool, don't worry about it, relax, but it's not just his point production that's suffering. His shots per game rate this year is nearly one full shot on goal less than his career number of nearly three. And the Wilds beat writer Michael Russo keeps mentioning on Twitter that Vonick just isn't shooting from shooting positions. Thomas Vonick is also seeing the fewest on-ice shot attempts he's seen since the 2011-2012 season, and it's presently the second lowest rate per 60 minutes of his entire career. Some numbers suggest he still has some positive regression coming to him, but other numbers make the counter-argument that even if he does see some luck start to go his way, it still might not bring him back up to that 25-30 goal level that we're used to seeing him at. One guy who's not quite a star but is severely underowned is Matt Zuccarello. His 59-point total last year was quickly forgotten when he started off the year with a dry spell. He only hit the score sheet in two of his first 10 games. But since then, he's been making up for lost time with four points in his last five, which, oddly enough, coincides with the return of Derek Stepan. Go figure. Zuccarello has no business being a free agent in your league, and if he is, you probably have a depth guy you should be dropping for him. And let's have a lightning round to round out the show. Get it? I said round twice in two different ways. Now I know you can't be Elon because that was too clever. Okay, if you're looking for an ad in reasonably deep leagues, I've got a couple quick suggestions for you. First one is linked to the last guy I talked about, Chris Kreider. 
Matt Zuccarello has seen success with Stepan Beck, and maybe some of it will rub off on Kreider, who has been centering the trio for the last little while. Kreider seems to have the makings of a half-point-per-game player, but could see bursts here and there if his linemates take him along for the ride. Just don't expect a ton of help in any peripheral categories if he's not producing points. Jake Muzzin of the LA Kings might also make for a nice short-term pickup. Elon and I just swapped him into one of our defenseman roster spots for a slumping Lubomir Wisnowski. Muzzin was pointless in his first seven games and then picked up a goal and six assists in his last five games played with two of those coming on the power play. He's seen a small bump in ice time over the last few games. It is now up to 24 or 25 minutes a night, likely related to the absences of both Alec Martinez and Slava Voinov. Even if the points don't keep coming from Muzzin, if your league counts peripherals, you can count on him for a couple blocks and a few hits on most nights. And let's round things off. That's a terrible joke to keep playing on with a couple Ottawa Senators Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman. Don't confuse the first names. They're pretty similar, and they're both seeing friendly minutes. Not necessarily a ton of minutes, but apparently enough for them to work with. Hoffman sits second on the Sens in goals scored with seven on the year, and is fifth on the roster with 38 shots on goal. Six of his goals came in a recent five-game spin. He also sees time on Ottawa's second power play unit. Meanwhile, Mark Stone had a run of four goals and three assists for seven points in eight games played, though he's not shooting a whole lot. Both of these guys make decent short-term pickups in exchange for any dead weight you might be carrying on your roster. And actually, that'll do it. So let's roll credits. But Brian, you didn't mention Tanner Pearson yet this week. You know, I really wasn't going to mention Tanner Pearson, but since you asked, he has one assist in his last 10 games. That is all. If you picked him up early on and did not sell high, then perhaps you better make sure you're not caught snoozing. Okay, and that takes us to the end of this week's jam-packed episode. Yes, it does. Our time here is up. We hope you learned something this week. Thank you so much for listening, and let us know what you thought of the interviews this week, and get our takes on fantasy hockey throughout the week via Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to know if you'd like to hear more interviews, less, some sprinkled in here and there. And also, if you found yourself enjoying this show, we would really find ourselves enjoying it if you took a quick minute to head over to iTunes and write us a five-star review. Brian, that's the end of the show, so let's cue that outro music while you read us the credits. This show was supported by our patrons over at patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. It was presented by Daily Faceoff, and it was researched with help from War on Ice, Puckalytics, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. I cannot wait to do this all again with you next week, Brian, 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 Brian. Elon returns next week. Until then, I'm Brian Com, reminding you to keep on keeping Carl Son.